The Alchemical Tech Revolution is sponsored by Anchor. Anchor by Spotify. That's anchor.fm. Hi folks, this is Wayne McCroy, host of the Alchemical Tech Revolution podcast. I'm here to tell you tonight about Anchor. Anchor is one of the best podcast distribution apps out there. Uh, They offer various ways to create, distribute, and monetize your podcast all for free, and they have some of the best built-in uploading, recording, and editing tools available in the industry. From start to finish, they can help you to set up your podcast. So if you are interested in starting a podcast, check out anchor.fm. Or if you are already a podcaster and you're looking for distribution solutions for your podcast, check out anchor.fm. Come with me.
Listening to the Alchemical Tech Revolution, and I'm your host, Wayne McRoy. Good evening, everybody. Tonight, we're going to look at part two of the OTO and its connections to the Babylon working. Uh, we're going to start actually getting into this by just breaking down what is the Babylon working, and we'll do that just by reading a, uh, a little snippet of uh, what is accepted within the mainstream as. Uh, what it was that uh, L. Ron Hubbard and uh, Mr. Jack Parsons were doing out in the Nevada desert in 1946. And this is taken from Wikipedia, and say what you will about Wikipedia, uh, it is largely a source where uh, much of what's publicly accepted is kind of posted there. So this is what is known uh, to the public, and we'll just do this, you know, for the sake of... Uh, making it easy for people to find the information here. We'll tell you, this is the narrative that Wikipedia tells, and this is what they're saying they're doing. And uh, we'll actually connect the dots a little later when we start uh, connecting it to the rituals of the OTO as we read in their book, The Secret Rituals of the OTO. Uh, so, you know, make no doubt about it. All these things are connected, and uh, all the uh, different facets of the religion of Thelema uh, as presented by Aleister Crowley, has been brought forward by this secret society group. And Parsons and Hubbard were very much involved. They were students and adepts uh, of the teachings of Aleister Crowley. So, anyway, <clears throat> let's just get to it here and describe. Here is what Wikipedia has to say about the Babylon working. Just as a, a frame up here before we get into the deeper text here and tell you what they were really trying to accomplish. Here we go. The Babylon working was a series of magic ceremonies or rituals performed from January to March 1946 by author, pioneer rocket fuel scientist and occultist Jack Parsons and Scientology founder L. Ron Hubbard. This ritual was essentially designed to manifest an individual incarnation of the archetypal divine feminine called Babylon. The project was based on the ideas of Aleister Crowley and his description of a similar project in his 1917 novel, Moonchild. Rituals of the Working When Parsons declared that the first of the series of rituals was complete and successful, he almost immediately met Marjorie Cameron in his own home and regarded her as the elemental that he and Hubbard had called through the ritual. And I'm going to pause there, folks. Uh, do you remember all the things we laid down in uh, uh, some previous works here about uh, what these people believe about elementals or elemental spirits and nature spirits in these things? Well, here it is. This The first part of the Babylon working, according to this, was in regards to trying to summon one of these elementals. And they uh, were of the mindset that this Marjorie Cameron, when she came on, this was the physical manifestation 
of that said elemental. Now, um, so the things that have been described to us in the Rosicrucian writings about elementals and uh, about uh, what uh, Manly P. Hall had to say about elementals and the, even the things going back to Paracelsus, um, this it doesn't seem quite right, but you can see the perversion that's been made here, uh, how they kind of cross the Rubicon uh, in, in regards to this. So now they perceive an actual person, a living being here in the physical plane, as an elemental for their use in uh, whatever magical rite that they're trying to perform. So you see how they've kind of crossed the line there and how these things have been once again pulled into the hyper-materialist viewpoint of our reality. And uh, this was done on purpose. And you see how they've, they've kind of drawn from some of these more philosophical type ideas and they've actually uh, taken them a, a step too far in in many things here and perceive them as something they're not so these people um, yeah <laughs> let's just say they're 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 not quite right okay but anyway so this is what they believed and this is what they acted upon and worked upon so let's pick up where we left off <clears throat> soon Parsons began the next stage of the series an attempt to conceive a child through sex magic workings Although no child was conceived, this did not affect the result of the ritual to that point. Parsons and Cameron, who Parsons now regarded as the Scarlet Woman, or Babylon, called forth by the ritual, soon married. The rituals performed drew largely upon rituals of sex magic described by English author and occult teacher Aleister Crowley. So... That's basically the nuts and bolts of, uh, you know, what they had done up until this point. Uh, so, anyhow, a, a better description here. First of all, what is this whole idea of the Scarlet Woman or Babylon that this Marjorie Cameron supposedly, uh, this role that she filled, okay? And, uh, you know, the the, the one that they they mistook for an elemental that they summoned, okay? Anyway, <clears throat> just not to get too much off topic, but this is how twisted and sick these people are, okay? This is the kind of grasp of reality that they have. But anyway, that's neither here nor there, because the important thing within the quote-unquote mag magical ritual uh, that they're trying to perform here is, is the intent more than anything, or the intention. So regardless of whether this is a true natural elemental spirit inhabiting uh, this person or not, um, that, that's neither here nor there. The important part is the intention that they're trying to uh, provide in the real world here. So with that being said, let's examine this idea of the Scarlet Woman or Babylon. And remember, that's Babylon spelled B-A-B-A-L-O-N. Uh, so what's the idea of Babylon? And once again... <clears throat> will examine uh, the, the popularly accepted idea here in Wikipedia. Again, because like I said, regardless of what you say about it, especially for things like this, uh, like topics like this, it's hard to find, uh, you know, just basic overview information on outside of something like Wikipedia. So this is what the publicly accepted definition would be. Babylon, goddess from Thelema, also known as the Scarlet Woman, Great Mother, 
or mother of abominations, is a goddess found in the occult system of Thelema, which was established in 1904 with the writing of The Book of the Law by English author and occultist Alistair Crowley. The spelling of the name as Babylon was revealed to Crowley in The Vision and the Voice, and that's, that spelling's B-A-B-A-L-O-N. Her name and imagery feature prominently in Crowley's Lieber Cheth Vel Volum Abiegne. So, <clears throat> some quick facts here. In her most abstract form, Babylon represents the female sexual impulse and the liberated woman. And I'm going to pause right there. Um, women's liberation uh, movement. Anybody? Did, did you ever wonder why this all arose in the early 20th century? Um, you know, what was some of the true intention behind it? Well, here it is. This is the kind of thing that uh, they were trying to manifest. And this this uh, today translates into this militant feminism that we see. Uh, it's a distortion of the natural forces of our reality, see. Uh, and, you know, once again, you, you could see uh, it always ties back to the, the occult. I mean, as, as much as I, I hate to say it and have to admit it, it always ties back to these occult things. All of it. Uh, any kind of a big uh, movement that you see going on in society, it all has an occult aspect to it. And this is no different. But anyway, that's just, uh, you know, just out there for people to connect the dots and see uh, why a lot of this stuff wound up turning up around the, these same time frames. But this is what uh, the whole idea of Babylon represents. So let's let's get back uh, to the reading, and we'll read that again, and we'll start from uh, the beginning of the facts here about uh, Babylon. In her most abstract form, Babylon represents the female sexual impulse and the liberated woman. In the creed of the Gnostic Mass, she is also identified with Mother Earth in her most fertile sense. Along with her status as an archetype or goddess, Crowley believed that Babylon had an earthly aspect or avatar, a living woman who occupied the spiritual office of the Scarlet Woman. And I'm going to pause there, folks. These people are very hung up on the idea that uh, many of these things are titles or, or offices to be held by different people. Okay, so when you see things like uh, the Antichrist, well, that's an office. Even Christ, they say Christ is an office, okay, to be held by people. This is their belief, not mine. Uh, but this, this is what they say, that these things, this is an office uh, that can be held by different individuals, depending upon, you know, their uh, spiritual leanings and stuff like that. So uh, that's kind of how they're identifying this here, the office of the Scarlet Woman. This would be the earthly avatar of Babylon. Okay, so they're they're claiming here, um, in this sense, this is this is what uh, Parsons and uh, Hubbard were thinking with this uh, this Marjorie Cameron woman that you know th this was the re earthly representation of Babylon, the Scarlet Woman per se. Anyway, <clears throat> there's a whole biblical allusion that goes with that in the Book of Revelation as well. This is all described in the Book of Revelation as well. So Crowley always, always tied that kind of spiritual aspect from uh, Christian theology into a lot of his uh, different magical uh, rituals and things like that as well, and into his own religious uh, 
ideas that he came up with, known as Thelema. So, <clears throat> this is where that idea comes from. So, it says here that uh, Crowley believed that Babylon had an earthly aspect or avatar, a living woman who occupied the spiritual office of the Scarlet Woman. This office, first identified in the Book of the Law, is usually described as a counterpart to his own identification as to Megatherion, or the Great Beast. And I'm going to pause there. And Aleister Crowley believed himself to be this great beast. But you can see what they're doing here. Let's continue with the reading here. The role of the Scarlet Woman was to help manifest the energies of the Eon of Horus. Crowley believed that several women in his life occupied the office of Scarlet Woman. So uh, I'm going to pause there once again. So you see, the idea here is the Great Beast and the Scarlet Woman uh, will manifest the energies of the new Eon, the Eon of Horus, the Age of Man, uh, the Age of Aquarius. Um, the, the next phase in human evolution, folks. There it is. This is what they're talking about. This is a precursor to transhumanism. Not really so much a precursor, but a more occulted view of transhumanism. Uh, this is what is being talked about here. And, uh, you know, I know uh, it might be a stretch too far for people, but bear with me. We'll get there. But anyway, Babylon is a complex figure. Although with... Within one particular view of Thelemic literature, she is said to have three essential aspects. She is the gateway to the city of the pyramids, the Scarlet Woman, and the Great Mother. And I'm going to pause right there. So once again, we see this idea, okay, you have the Scarlet Woman, the Great Beast, and the Eon of Horus. They, they want to produce this child, Horus, okay? This is a false holy trinity see this is this is the idea they're 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 invoking the idea of the trinity and once again they invoke the idea of the trinity within the scarlet woman herself uh, she is the gateway to the city of the pyramids always ties back to ancient egypt too folks always does so anyway let's read on so what does it say here Gateway to the City of Pyramids. Within the mixed mystical system of the AA, and that's the subgroup underneath the uh, OTO, and it's, I, I forget what exactly it stands for, Astro something or another. It, it, it basically, it equates to, uh, uh, it's a secret group within the secret group, okay? Uh, it's like the higher level within the OTO, but that's what this is. And the mystical system of the AA, I can't pronounce those words that the AA stands for, so I won't even try, I'll butcher it here. After the adept has attained the knowledge and conversation of his holy guardian angel, he then might reach the next and last great milestone, the crossing of the abyss, that great spiritual wilderness of nothingness and dissolution. Karanzon is the dweller there. And its job is to trap the traveler in his meaningless world of illusion. And I'm going to pause right there, folks. There's a lot of ideas packed in here. First of all, they're talking about, uh, you know, within the mystical system uh, of this group within the OTO. After the adept has attained the knowledge and conversation of his holy guardian angel. This is what we discussed in the previous episode here. Uh, 
It's talking about having sex with a demonic being or an elemental, okay? This is what that's talking about. So after he's done that, then he might reach the next and last great milestone, the crossing of the abyss. Now this crossing of the abyss idea, uh, this within the occult circles, they believe that once they have actually crossed the abyss, and they believe they could do this, that they are no longer bound by morality at all, that they are above that. They are transcendent of that. Morality and ethics are not a concern for them at this point. Uh, they think they're above that. They believe themselves to be gods at that point after they cross the abyss. And what are they describing here? The crossing of the abyss, the great spiritual wilderness of nothingness and dissolution. And then it says here, there's another important idea. Karanzan, and this is a, a, a demonic entity allegedly found in the greater key of Solomon. He's one of the 72 uh, demons within there that John D. Uh, was able to conjure up with his secret language, his Enochian language. Uh, Karanzan is the dweller there, and his job is to trap the traveler in his meaningless world of illusion. So we're going to go ahead and look at a couple different ideas here. Okay, but so what's the idea? What's the abyss? What is the abyss? Uh, okay, I'll tell you here in a nutshell, folks, uh, what these ideas represent. The abyss is the veil, okay, if, if you've ever heard of the veil, the veil between these realities, between the spiritual and the physical. The veil, okay, the abyss is the veil. Do you know what else the veil is? And you're not going to probably hear this too much of anywhere. Uh, because uh, this is probably something occultists wouldn't want to admit to because it takes away some of the mystery of the things they talk about. What's the veil? Well, the veil, folks, is the mind. See, the mind is the gateway between the physical and the spiritual. It's the reflection. It's the centerpiece. It's the mirror. Uh, the spiritual is reflected in the physical and the physical in the spiritual. As above, so below. As within, so without. You see? It's really simple. When you understand the veil, the abyss, the mind, these are all allegorical uh, aspects of the same thing. Okay? So who is Karanzan, the dweller there, and that whose job is to trap his traveler in his meaningless world of illusion? Who is that? Well, we also covered that in a previous episode going back here when we were talking about the unseen forces with uh, the book from Manly P. Hall. So who's Karanzan? The dweller on the threshold. That's who. Uh, the devil. Satan. Karanzan. The dweller on the threshold. The one that traps you in your meaningless world of illusion through the control and manipulation of your mind. The veil is your mind, folks. The abyss, crossing the abyss, getting past this idea of mind, uh, being able to see the reflection of the spiritual in the real world, the physical world here. Okay, These things all meet in the mind. The mind is the arena where all of these things happen. And here's the other big secret that you probably won't hear much of anywhere else. The mind... When you are able to um, overcome this dweller on the threshold, okay, um, this 
causes the transmutation of your mind, and your mind becomes soul. Okay, and spirit and soul are differentiated, and we covered a lot of this in, in you know, some of these previous shows that we talked about these things. So anyway, not to get on too much of a side tangent there, but uh, the thing is, this veil, uh, this abyss that they talk about crossing, they, they like to keep this stuff all tied up in all this mysterious mumbo-jumbo here, okay? And they, they tie it up in this, this magical ritual bit and they overly complicate things because the truth of the matter folks is the veil has been torn from top to bottom when jesus died on the cross for us he made the way we don't have to be trapped in this world of meaningless illusion that Karanzon, that dweller on the threshold satan traps us in okay because it's all about perception it's all about your mind and controlling your mind. That's what it's about. And Jesus saved us from that through his sacrifice on the cross at Calvary. So, uh, with that being said, uh, we don't have to partake in the illusion, the world of illusion. And that's where 99.9% uh, .9 of the people in this world are trapped in the illusion. Uh, these people in positions of power these dark occultists at the top of the power structure, they try to capture your mind and keep it trapped in this meaningless world of illusion. And uh, it's not your own illusion, folks. That's the thing. They've hijacked this process to make it their illusion, okay? So you have to fend for yourself within their illusion. And that's what they're trying to do. And they always try to proceed with this kind of a thing. So uh, not to get... Uh, you know, too off-topic here, but that's what they're talking about. And that's, if you take nothing else out of this, remember that. What is the veil? This veil that's getting very thin in this time of revelation. It's the mind. It's perception. Human perception. The control of your perception is the control of your mind. If they control that, and they keep this uh, Karanzan, who is the dweller in the abyss, or the veil, or the mind... The dweller on the threshold, you remember that? Satan, Lucifer, whatever you want to call this uh, this idea. Uh, let's, let's keep it as a concept, okay? Um, <clears throat> just so as not to lose too many people out there. Now, there are spiritual realities to a lot of this stuff. But that's the bottom line. If you take nothing else from this, just remember, whenever you hear about, uh, you know, the veil, uh, working behind the veil... Well, they're, they're working to control your mind. See, um, that's, that's what this represents. It's an externalization of this internal thing, this internal archetype known as Karanzan in, you know, this Enochian type of a key here um, within the magical circles here. Anyway, let's get back to the reading, though. I know that was a big side tangent, and it's an important one to go down. But uh, let's read on. Excuse me while I clear my throat here. <clears throat> However, Babylon is just on the other side. Now remember, let, let's go back a sentence and we'll read that again. Karanzan is the dweller there and its job is to trap the traveler in his meaningless world of illusion. And it's talking about crossing the abyss. So just beyond the abyss it says, However, Babylon is just on the other side, beckoning. If the adept gives himself totally to her, 
the symbol of this act being the pouring of the adept's blood into her grail. He becomes impregnated in her, then to be reborn as a master of the temple, and a saint that dwells in the city of the pyramids. And that's from Crowley's book, Magic Without Tears. And it says... She guardeth the abyss, and in her is a perfect purity of that which is above, yet she is sent as the Redeemer to them that are below, for there is no other way into the supernal mystery but through her. See, this is creating a false Christ, an Antichrist, folks. That's what the idea is. Do, do you see what they're doing there? And once again, this is talking about uh, Babylon, okay, the feminine aspect. And we also covered in some previous uh, shows and stuff here the feminine side. The feminine. What's, what's the feminine? Imagination. This is the capturing of the imagination, okay, to use the imagination. This is the creative uh, process within man because, you see, uh, many of these spiritual things out there, they have no creative power of their own, much like artificial intelligence. They can't think up anything new or novel on their own. All they can do is work with what they have or what they've seen and imitate, okay? It's the same kind of idea. So this is the aspect of trying to draw down this idea of imagination and bring it uh, into the fore of this uh, mystical process here. So that's what they're trying to do when they're they're trying to invoke this, you know, idea this archetype of Babylon. Anyway, let's get back to the reading. The concept contained within this aspect of Babylon is that of the mystical idea, the quest to become one with all through the annihilation of the earthly ego. For as thy blood is mingled in the cup of Babylon, so is thine heart the universal heart. The blood spilling into the grail of Babylon is then used by her to flood the world with life and beauty, meaning to create masters of the temple that are released back into the world of men, symbolized by the crimson rose of 49 petals. And I'm going to pause there. Uh, once again, you see, it's a promise of godhood to these people. Understand where this is going yet, folks? In sex magic, the mixture of female sexual fluids and semen produced in the sexual act with the Scarlet Woman, or Babylon, is called the Elixir of Life. Another alternative form of this elixir is the Elixir Rubius, consisting of the menstrual blood and semen, abbreviated as L and Rub, by Crowley in his Magical Diaries, and is referred to as the Effluvian of Babylon, the Scarlet Woman, which is the menstruum of the lunar current. So, that's what they're talking about here, these elixir of life bit. It's, it's an allegory, okay? It's all about using the sexual force or power, and we discussed this previously too, and I showed you uh, the twisted beliefs that these people have about this this kind of stuff, and why, uh, you know, you have um, these people um, in these high circles of power attending these spirit-cooking kind of ceremonies and things like that. This is the kind of stuff that they they believe, and they, they really uh, want to, uh, you know, promote and push forward, because they think that it could lead them to immortality and godhood of a certain sense. Uh, so they invoke these different concepts and ideas. 
Um, so let's continue on here. And this is this is the next part here of, of what it says here. We're, we're going to continue reading this. And this is all out of Wikipedia. This is the stuff that's out there in public domain that they don't seem to mind at this point if you know some of these things because, uh, you know, honestly, I don't think they care at this point because I think they've gotten away with so much for so long now. They don't think that people would believe it if they saw it because it sounds outlandish and stuff. But next part here says, Babylon's Daughter. One of the most extensive descriptions by Crowley of Babylon's Daughter is to be found in The Vision and the Voice, Ninth Ether, quoted in the Book of Thoth. And it says here, The Virgin Universe, from The Vision and the Voice, Ninth Ether. We are come unto a palace, of which every stone is a separate jewel, and is set with millions of moons. And this palace is nothing but the body of a woman, proud and delicate, and beyond imagination fair. She is like a child of twelve years old. She has very deep eyelids and long lashes. Her eyes are closed, or nearly closed. It is impossible to say anything about her. She is naked. Her whole body is covered with fine gold hairs that are the electric flames, which are the spears of mighty and terrible angels, whose breastplates are the scales of her skin, and the hair of her head that flows down to her feet is the very light of God himself. Did you catch that, folks? The very light of God himself. Uh, this is beyond hubristic this idea so they really really think uh, that through uh, some of these rituals and stuff they do they could become gods okay by by using the offices of the beast and the scarlet woman to bring forth this eon of horus this uh, this new age per se the age of aquarius the age of man uh, the age of transcendence the this this new age uh that they will transcend and become gods. They'll be reborn into this system, you see, by sacrificing their their selves here physically through ritual magic. Uh, to this, they will they believe they will come back as enlightened masters or some such thing uh, into the world in a physical sense, and they'll be rulers in this place. They'll become gods. See. Anyway, let's continue on. And we're almost done with this, and when we finish this, then we'll get back to the actual reading of the secret rituals of the OTO. But all of this stuff, it's important to lay down the groundwork here to see what it is we're talking about and what is the publicly accepted definition of what the quote-unquote Babylon working was and uh, what the Babylon working is, because this stuff still goes on today, folks. This didn't end with uh, Jack Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard. Office of the Scarlet Woman. This is Babylon, the true mistress of the beast. Of her, all his mistresses on lower planes are but avatars, said Crowley in the vision and voice. Although Crowley often wrote that Babylon and the Scarlet Woman are one, there are also many instances where the Scarlet Woman is seen more as a representative or physical manifestation of the universal feminine principle. In a footnote to Liber Reguli, Crowley mentions that of the gods of the Aeon, the Scarlet Woman and the Beast are the earthly emissaries of those gods. He then writes in Law is for All, 
It is necessary to say here that the beast appears to be a definite individual, to wit, the man Alistair Crowley, but the Scarlet Woman is an officer replaceable as needs arises. Thus, to the present date of writing, Anno 16, Sun and Sagittarius, there have been several holders of the title. Alright, so you see here, Alistair Crowley saw himself as the beast, and he saw himself as being the only one to hold that office. But, here's the thing. Uh, there's many occultists who don't believe he's the only one to hold that office, and many of them uh, actually try to spiritually claim that office themselves. Uh, and that's why they, they and I, I, I think... Uh, Parsons tried to achieve that office himself. But you see here how he says the Scarlet Woman is an officer replaceable as the need arises. See? So, uh, here, here's the problem, okay? It, <laughs> this, this is how twisted and convoluted these people are. If it suits them for their agenda, then it's okay to say that this one is the Scarlet Woman, or that one's the Scarlet Woman. And this is how uh, they get into some really, really uh, places, uh, really bad places of debauchery with a lot of things here. Uh, so they, they tie all this stuff up in these ritual ideas. And uh, you see, they twist and pervert ideas, and then they do despicable things in this reality with those ideas and so so what is it that's the, what the accepted uh, definition of what went on at the babylon working and it's not completely disingenuous there i mean that is uh, you know a, a pretty good overview of what in reality probably did happen or, or a little bit of the aspects of what they were trying to achieve but let's move on to the book here the secret rituals of the oto by francis king uh, copyright, I believe it was 1972, this book is from, okay? And it talks about the uh, secret instructions here. We're going into part three of the book, and this we'll read through this, and then we're going to call it a night here, folks, with this, because it'll leave you uh, some important things to think about, and it'll help you to understand the depravity of what goes on within some of these secret society groups at the highest most levels what it is they believe and what they act upon and why the world is in such a state of degeneracy that it's in today and why the human mind has been uh, twisted and perverted to the state of subservience that it has today in this day and age in this world so we'll read right here part three the secret instructions of the seventh eighth and ninth degrees and this one starts out of the homunculus, a secret instruction of the ninth degree. De homunculo epistola. Baphomet, tenth degree, O.T.O., Rex Summis Sanctissimus, to all his holy and royal brethren of the tenth degree upon earth, and to his viceroys in all the Britons, greetings and peace, under the seal of the obligation of the ninth degree. Capitulum primum, number one. The homunculus is a living being in form resembling man, and possessing those qualities of man which distinguish him from beasts, namely intellect and power of speech, but neither begotten and born after the manner of human generation, nor inhabited by a human soul. I'm going to pause there, folks. 
do you see what they were up to in the Babylon working? They were trying to create a homunculus. A, uh, how does it describe it here? Let me read that definition to you again. The homunculus is a living being in form resembling man and possessing those qualities of man which distinguish him from beasts, namely intellect and power of speech, but neither begotten and born after the manner of human generation nor inhabited by a human soul. Do you... Or could you start connecting the dots without me pointing them out directly to you, to transhumanism and artificial intelligence and all of these ideas? Without a human soul, not inhabited by a human soul. The homunculus, folks. Let's keep reading. Number two. Thus, supposing that the reincarnating ego enters the fetus at the third month of gestation, it would not serve to remove such fetus from the mother and cause it to live, for it is already human. But a fetus of two months might become homunculus. And I'm going to pause there, folks. These people are sick. Did you hear that? Do I have to read that again? First of all, they believe, and this is a popular belief within some of these occult circles, that uh, the reincarnating ego doesn't enter the fetus until the third month of gestation. So, um, this is not the same doctrine uh, or accepted idea taught by Christianity, where uh, uh, the spark of life begins at fertilization. And I think that's that could be, uh, you know, a pretty much universally accepted truth uh, for anybody that is actually willing to take their blinders off it and admit that to be a fact. But, <coughs> excuse me, anyway. But a popular idea within many of these occult circles is uh, the fetus does not really have a soul uh, within its first two months of gestation. It's only at the third month of gestation that the soul enters in, or the spirit, uh, the reincarnating ego, so they say here. Uh, so, why why do you think abortion is a big thing? And, you know, it, it's... I'll tell you, I, I don't want to go off on a, a soapbox here, but just keep that in the back of your mind as well. There's spiritual reasons why abortion is practiced legally today in this day and age, and why it's one of the number one killers in the world today. Uh, so... Anyway, let's let's move on. I don't want to get too hung up on that idea. Let's read on. This is from this is in from the horse's mouth, folks. This is in their own words. This is the stuff they believe and act upon. Okay. Number 3. A human being can only become homunculus if obsessed by a demon to such an extent that the human soul is irrevocably expelled to the same degree as in death, and freed utterly, so that it seeks a new tenement, and is cut off absolutely from the old. But even this, rare as it must be except in lunacy, involves an extension of the natural meaning of the term homunculus. And I'm going to pause there, folks. Uh, did you say, here what was said there, but even this, rare as it must be, except in lunacy, involves an extension of the natural meaning of the term homunculus. Why do we have so much mental illness in this day and age, folks? Well, there it is, isn't it? They're trying to expel the human soul to make room for a demonic soul. And uh, 
you, you know, uh, once again, I'll draw the lines for people to transhumanism. Uh, this is absolutely um, why I say that uh, we, we need to be very leery of this philosophy because the ones that are controlling uh, these steps being taken towards transhumanism are these same dark occultists right here. This is their own words. This is what they believe. This is what they want to do because they believe that... Uh, but I won't. I won't tell you. We'll we'll continue reading here, okay? So that they could tell you in their own words what they want and what they believe. Number four. In the third chapter, we discuss our method of producing that which, if not a true homunculus, at least serves at all proper purposes thereunto pertinent. And I'm gonna pause there, folks. Um. Yeah. They they talk about in chapter three of this book. There are other methodologies of producing a homunculus, okay? Or, or not a true homunculus, but um, something that will serve as a, its proper person. Per, <laughs> I can't talk. Its proper purposes that are pertinent to this idea here. Uh, but anyway, let's move on in the reading here. Capitulum secundum, number one. The classical method of making the homunculus is to take the fertilized ova of a woman and to reproduce as closely as may be, without the uterus, the normal conditions of gestation therein. And I'm going to just let you think on that for a couple minutes here, folks. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll just keep going here. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what to think about this. I just want you to think about this, these ideas, and how they relate to our modern world. Number two, four, in the case of ectopic gestation, it is clearly possible for the ovum to develop a considerable period, and a child of four and a half months, weighing nine ounces, has been known to live for over an hour after delivery. These considerations encourage us. Life is indefinitely adaptable, and life originally appeared in a planet bacteriologically sterilized by temperatures of many thousands of degrees centigrade. There is therefore every reason to hope that, starting as we do with the proper first matter, we may be able to devise conditions of its growth in a culture, just as we have done in the case of the simpler organisms. And I'm going to pause right there, folks. Now, they're making assumptions here that, uh, you know, life originally appeared in a planet bacteriologically sterilized by temperatures of many thousands of degrees centigrade. So they're buying in wholeheartedly to this whole Big Bang theory and all of that stuff right here within their twisted um, quasi-religious uh, magical viewpoint here, mystical viewpoint of things. So... You can see they, they make assumptions, and, uh, you know, with these assumptions, they, they make assertions as well. So, that being the case, they, they think, uh, hey, you know what, we could we could probably gestate a baby outside of the womb. And uh, remember, this was written in 1972, okay? So, you know, these ideas of artificial wombs and stuff like that were kind of relatively fringe science at that point, and you know, thing, things like that. But anyway, let's, let's not get too hung up on that idea. 
As it is written, with God all things are possible, and is not our motto, Deus est homo. And that means man is God. That's, that's, <laughs> that is their motto, man is God. Uh, so anyway, and it says, as it is written, with God all things are possible. So you see how they, they take some scripture and distort it here and, you know, add their own little two cents on there. They think they're gods, folks, or they're going to become gods. Anyway, let's move on here. Number three, the white tincture of the alchemists was in this connection a replica of the liquor omnii and their red tincture a substitute for blood. Number four, certain truly magical aids to the physiological experiments indicated above have always been held worthy. The adept must, however, be left to devise these, as in so small a treatise we have no place for a subject so starry vast as this. And I'm going to pause there, folks. Points three and four. They're talking about the white tincture and the red tincture of the alchemists uh, was in connection, a replica of uh, what they, they call liquor omnii, which would be uh, amniotic fluid and the red tincture a substitute for blood. So they're talking about uh, creating a sort of artificial womb here, right? And then it says here, uh, certain truly magical aids to the physiological experiments indicated above have always been held worthy. Why do you think they're so apt to experiment, especially on babies or, or to uh, use parts of babies for things like, you know, vaccines and such? Do you see the disgusting nature of all of this at this point? See, that they hold this stuff worthy, experimenting upon innocent, unborn babies. They, they see it as a worthy cause. Isn't it disgusting? Like, it, these people... It, 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 I just have no words, folks. But let's continue on. And then it says here, The adept must, however, be left to devise these, as in so small a treatise we have no place for a subject so starry vast as this. So, they admit that uh, they experiment on human beings of various um, different age ranges and things of that sort. And we'll, we'll say, uh, you know, especially uh, fetuses and such like that. But we'll just leave it at that. Uh, I mean, you could you could ponder upon these things or, you know, think upon them for a little bit as to what they're talking about here. Uh, I don't see it as being all that veiled of a reference myself. I think, you know, it, it definitely has to do with uh, uh, various prominent uh, organizations in this country that provide, you know, uh, services to women and, uh, you know, have their ties in eugenics and uh, they're champions like Margaret Sanger and things like that. But we won't actually name names uh, for any of these organizations or anything of that sort. But uh, this is the spiritual component behind that. Make no doubt about that, folks. Let's continue on with the reading. Capitulum Tertium. Number one, we assume that our brethren have well studied or epistle de arte magica secundum ritum gratis noni oto ktl. Number two, <coughs> excuse me, before introducing our own method of making the homunculus, let us refer to a, the theory of incarnation, and b, 
the method of evocation invented by us in a sixth soul in Aries, April 10th, EV. A. For about three months, the fetus is empty of any soul. It then attracts an ego of such a nature as its own karma, i.e. nature and tendency, and B. It, let me start that over again. <coughs> Excuse me. For about three months, the fetus is empty of any soul. It then attracts an ego of such a nature as A, its own karma, i.e. naturae and tendency, and B, the karma of the ego, combined to make viable. If a suitable combination is not found, the result is either miscarriage, stillbirth, or the birth of an idiot. In the last case, the fetus has been obsessed by some dumb non-human spirit or by some human spirit of exceptional karma. By karma, we mean always nature and tendency and no more, although we use these words in a large sense to include all causes moral as well as physical, but we include not any conceptions of justice and the like in these, and I'm going to pause there, folks, and they do that because they know in their heart of hearts that this is evil. That's why they say that. Uh, it doesn't have to do with justice or anything moral like that. We just mean karma by karma. We just mean nature and tendency and no more. See? And, and their hubris shines through with this stuff as well. Uh, but anyway, this is their theory of incarnation, okay? Because it says here, the theory of incarnation. All right? So, this is a doctrine that's that's held as a belief by many of these secret society groups in the highest, most uh, echelons of their orders. So, see, they believe that a fetus of, you know, up until three months doesn't really have a spirit, per se. Okay, it's just a, it's just a lump of cells. You hear that all the time. Uh, that's not accepted in uh, Christian theology, though. Or, you know, if you talk to, like, people that work in medical science and stuff like that, or... Uh, Life begins at fertilization, folks. Let's put it that way. I think that's that could readily be, be said. And there's more to life than just the physical, electrical workings of the cells and stuff like that. We, you know, it's, it's something we as humans are really hard-pressed to explain exactly how it works or why. Uh, we really don't know. But these people, they have such hubris, they think they got it all figured out. They think this is an empty vessel up until such a point, and then, you know, the, the incoming soul or ego uh, can manifest within it. Okay, so that's, that's what they're saying here. Anyway, <clears throat> let's get on with the reading. If this be accepted, then clearly it is possible that a magician might find means, A, to bar the gate against any human ego, and B, to cause the incarnation of some non-human being, such as an elemental or planetary spirit, or a nature fitted to some desired end. Oh, of a nature fitted to some desired end. Thus, one eloquent from an incarnation of Tyriel, or one bold in war from the indwelling of Graphio. So let me read that to you again. First of all, if this be accepted, it says here, it starts off at, and that's a big if in my view, folks, but this is what they accept, okay, that uh, the, uh, the ego, the human ego, the spirit does not manifest within the body of the fetus until after the third, third month, 
Okay? So that's what they believe. So they say, if this is accepted, and they do accept it, and they act upon it, then clearly it is possible that a magician might find some means, A, to bar the gate against any human ego. So what does that mean? Let's, let's break that down. So they're saying they could block a human spirit from manifesting in this human body. Okay? This is what they try to do in the case of a homunculus. Okay? So they're blocking a human spirit and human ego from manifesting in this body. And once again, that points out another important aspect to the whole abortion idea, doesn't it? Anyway, let's, let's not get off on that tangent again. And it says, B, to cause the incarnation of some non-human being, such as an elemental or planetary spirit of a nature fitted to some desired end. And then it says, thus one eloquent from an incarnation of Tyriel, or one bold in war, from the indwelling of Graphiel. It's naming different spirit types here, okay, or archetypes. Um, let's continue on. And these will be his chief difficulties. A, that man, even when discarnate, is so spiritually powerful that to bar him from his urgent need is a task of colossal awe. And B, it is necessary to choose a spirit suitable to the fetus. Thus, if the babe that is to be were, by reason of physical heredity, sluggish, melancholy, and weak, it would be but nugatory to invoke into it a spirit of Nahiel, or Raphael, or Haniel, or Aniel. And I'm going to pause there, folks. So it, they're naming different spirit types here, or, you know, different... These are kind of archetypal type ideas, all right? And uh, th this draws back, once again, to uh, the, the greater and lesser seals of Solomon and some of their other magical ritual works, uh, a lot of which were laid down by John Dee uh, back in the day, like a lot of these different ideas with these different uh, demonic entities, per se, or spirits, nature spirits, elementals, what, whatever you want to call this stuff. This is what they're talking about. They're talking about blocking a human soul or human spirit from entering a body and replacing it with something else that does not belong here in our physical world, folks. But let's continue on here. <clears throat> Part B. The human soul is all but inexpungible. No, let me... I can't say that word. The human soul is all but inexpugnable. That, that's that word. Inexpugnable. Yet, we have succeeded in the temporary expulsion of a weak and wandering soul and its replacement. For example, we once supplanted the soul of a Caliban creature, a certain deformed and filthy abortion without moral character named Victor Newberg, by a soul of Isis, by a soul of Mars, and by a soul of Jupiter in turn, so that this quasi-human shape, not being a poet, did yet write verses goodly and great in praise of Isis, and not being a prophet, did yet foretell most accurately the wars, which even now devastate the earth, and not being generous or wealthy, did yet for a season support many dependents on his bounty. And I'm going to pause right there, folks. If you look up this Victor Newberg fellow, uh, you'll, you'll see he was, um, I, I think if I remember correctly, because I, I looked it up, he was a sort of poet, 
and you know he wasn't really um, all that uh, charismatic or anything like that. But they claim that uh, they imparted him uh, <coughs> with these spiritual ideas here. They created him as a homunculus, okay? These people have such hubris as to claim that they actually made a homunculus that actually lived and, and lived a, a normal life, but that this fellow, this Victor Newberg fellow, he didn't really have a soul of his own, see? Uh, it was just a, a vehicle for these uh, souls that they supplanted in there of a Caliban creature, a, a certain deformed and filthy abortion without moral character named Victor Newberg. They supplanted that soul, see? They claim that uh, he... That he was not a worthy human soul. He was a weak and pathetic human soul. So they, they possessed him, uh, his body, with a soul of Isis, a soul of Mars, and a soul of Jupiter in turn. See, they claim they were able to create this homunculus being through this this man uh, who, like I said, I, I'm pretty sure he was known for poetry or something like that. And uh, they claim that they're responsible for that, that they're the ones that uh, actually gave that uh, uh, the spirit to that. So that was the only reason that he was able to create the poetry or whatever it was he created is because they created him to do that. See, the hubris of these people. Um, anyway, let's, let's not get too hung up on that idea. But they, they claim to be able to do this, folks. Okay, That's the bottom line here. That's why they, they throw this idea out. And this we did with no elaboration of thought, no Persian apparatus, no weariness or trouble at all. Going to pause there. Do you see their hubris once again there, folks? They, they really got this all figured out, don't they? <clears throat> Back to the reading. Now then, do we mark down the means devised by us, Baphomet, for the making of the homunculus? Number one. Take a suitable woman willing to aid thee in this work. Explain to her fully the precautions to be taken and the manner of life necessary. Let her horoscope be, if possible, suited to the nature of the homunculus proposed as to have an incarnate spirit of benevolence. Let Jupiter be rising in Pisces with good aspects of Sol, Venus, and Luna, and with no notable contrary dispositions, or so far as may be possible. 2. Take now a man suitable, if convenient, thyself, or some other brother initiate of the Gnosis, and so far as may be, let his horoscope also harmonize with the nature of the work. <coughs> Excuse me. Number 3. Let the man and woman copulate continuously, but especially at times astrologically favorable to thy working, and that in a ceremonial manner in a prepared temple, whose particular arrangement and decoration is also suitable to thy work, and let them will ardently and constantly the success of thy work, denying all other desires. Thus proceed until impregnation results. Number four. Now let the woman be withdrawn and carried away to a place prepared. And this place should be a great desert, for in such do rarely wander any human souls seeking incarnation. And I'm going to pause there, folks. Why did they do this out in the desert? Well, here you go. That's why. Right there. 
Back to the reading. Further, let a great circle be drawn and consecrated to the sphere of the work, and let banishing formulae of the Sephiroth, and especially of Kether, be done often, even unto five or seven times on every day, outside which great circle let the woman never go. Let the mind of the woman be strengthened to resist all impression except of the spirit desired. Let the incense of the spirit be burnt continually. Let his colors, and his only, be displayed, and let his shapes, and his only, appear so far as as may be in all things. Further, let him be most earnestly and continually invoked in a temple duly dedicated, the woman being placed in a great triangle, while thou from the circle dost perform daily the proper form of evocation to material appearance, and let this be done twice every day, once while she is awake and once while she is asleep. Number five, and let the quickening be a feast of the reception of the spirit. Henceforth, ye may omit the banishings. Six, and during the rest of the pregnancy, let there be the charge to the spirit, so that the whole period of all this work is, as it were, an expansion of, in terms of life, of the art formula of evocation in this manner. Let the woman be constantly educated by words and by books and by pictures of a nature consonant, so that all causes may work together for the defense and sustenance of the spirit and for its true development. Number seven, and let the delivery of the woman be retarded or advanced so far as possible to secure a rising sign proper to such a child. Number eight, the child being born must be dedicated, purified, and consecrated according to the formulae of the planet, element, or sign of which it is in the incarnation. Number nine. Now then, thou hast a being of perfect human form, with all powers and privileges of humanity, but with the essence of a particular chosen force, and with all the knowledge and might of its sphere, and this being is thy creation and dependent. To it thou art sole God and Lord, and it must serve thee. Therefore the whole of all that part of nature whereunto it belongs is thy dominion, and thou art Magister Octonomus. Gonna pause there for a minute, folks. <laughs> Do you hear the sheer hubris and evil that emanates from these people? It's all about being God with them. They want to be God. They want to wield power. See? Let's continue on. Number 10. Be wary, brother adept, and choose well thine object, and spare not pain and labor in the beginning of thy operation, for to have corn of so subtle a seed is a great thing once, to achieve it twice were the mark of a primal energy so marvelous that we doubt whether there be one man born in ten times ten thousand years that hath such wonder power. Number 11. Now the father of all, prosper ye, my brethren, that dare lay hold upon the phallus of the all-one, and call forth its streams to irrigate your fields. And may the spirit of Prometheus hearken, and the spirit of Alcides aid your work. Farewell, therefore, in the name of the secret master blessing, and peace from us, Baphomet, 10th degree, OTO, given from the throne of Ireland, Iona, and all the Britons, in the sanctuary of the Gnosis, this day of soul. <laughs> and it gives the, uh, the degrees of longitude and latitude, and noon, September 20th, 1914. That's when this uh, 
was written and dedicated. Uh, uh, and like I said, this is a 1972 book, but this was actually written in 1914. 1914, folks. These ideas. So this is well before um, many of the, the modern things that we know came about. Uh, like these modern movements, women's liberation movement, and uh, all of that other stuff. So, uh, you know, with that being said, uh, this is laying a type of groundwork down uh, for some of these different ideas. Okay? And it all comes back from these occult ideologies. See, it's all about, they want to create a homunculus, folks. A homunculus. They want to create an artificial being that doesn't belong here. That doesn't have a human soul. They want to bring in something from somewhere else. And this is one of the main reasons why uh, many of these people promote the transhumanist ideology. And uh, I don't know what else more to tell you about this, folks. Uh, the Babylon working. The OTO. These dark occultists. Technocracy. All these things, they're all interconnected. Do you understand yet? It, it's all brought forth from many of these old ancient uh, teachings, and it's been perverted to such a degree that it creates this false paradigm, this false reality that they're trying to make into the prime reality and be the gods of it. And uh, that's what they're trying to accomplish. So... Anyway, uh, we're going to leave it there for tonight, folks. Uh, that's pretty much all we got for tonight. But you can see the, the clear connections between uh, what this Babylon working was about and the OTO and their teachings, uh, which are all derived from these same places, this religion of Thelema, as laid down by Aleister Crowley and many of these ideas that he hijacked and twisted and perverted and turned into something totally horrific and that's what these people believe in and work towards uh so don't be deceived uh anyway uh we're gonna leave it there for tonight i hope you all have a wonderful night and think upon these things and uh, next time uh we'll be talking about a little something called the illuminati good night folks Come with me. Something